Hello, and thank you for joining us for Fairies and Dragons, Ponies and Knights, Season 2, Episode 8, The Spear. If this is your first time listening to Fairies and Dragons, Ponies and Knights, you might want to go back and start at Season 1, Episode 1, The Egg, to get the full story. My name is Marin Langdon Spillane, and today we are thrilled to welcome special guest artist Dominique Levine. You should definitely make sure to check the show notes for links to Dominique's final illustration, her coloring page, and other links to her artwork. Before we get started, we want to introduce you to another really great podcast and fellow Kids Listen member, Ben and Sophie, Wobie's Secret. What is this? Two kids, a robot, and a missing professor. <gasps> I think this is it. The big lab is right over there. My home. Sometimes it's hard to believe you're a robot. You humans amaze me. Listen to Ben and Sophie. We'll be secret on SpokenMovieProject.com or wherever you get your podcasts. One thing that I love about stories that you listen to is that everyone imagines a story a little bit differently. I know how it looks in my head, but I love to see how other people imagine things. So I encourage all of you listeners to grab your favorite supplies and draw, sculpt, paint, or create anything that you are inspired to while listening. Then you can share your creation with us during one of our live shows, post on our Facebook page, or email it to us at PetraTheDragon at gmail.com. Previously on Fad Pack, Beatrice, a dragon, her five draglings, and Tom and Talora, two humans from the city of Durga, set off on a quest to find Beatrice's stolen egg. They discover that the mighty dragon Shakatala, Beatrice's mate and the father that her draglings have never met, is terrorizing the rainbow ponies who have agreed to help Beatrice in her quest. Shakatala has traded his fire to the arbor fairies in exchange for his armor, and after Beatrice confronts Shakatala and chases him from the land of the ponies, he vows to begin hunting down humans instead. Beatrice's oldest children, Azrael and Petra, along with Talora and the crystal fairies Amethyst and Citrine, set off to find the Arbor Fairies in hopes that they can recapture Shakatala's fire so that he can be returned to his former self and a dragon-human conflict might be avoided. Talora's eyes flickered open to reveal an early dawn, pale yellow sunlight filtering down from the tree canopy overhead. She watched a small purple beetle crawl slowly up a stem of grass near her face, stopping to inspect a drop of dew in its path. She rolled onto her back and kicked off her cloak that she had slept curled in, stretching her arms above her head and yawning. Petra was lying next to her, still asleep, but Azrael and Bob were nowhere to be seen. Talora guessed they were on another foraging mission. Bob was taking his duties as Azriel's vegetarian nutritionist very seriously, and Azriel was eager to contribute and add to his own knowledge of all things flora and fauna. The two hadn't stopped talking since their group had left the grasslands two days earlier. Their journey had been peaceful so far, with Amethyst and Citrine leading the way to the forest of Mordenson where the Arbor Fairies dwelled. Delora knew they were traveling northeast, but beyond that she had lost all sense of where they were in the world. They hadn't passed any noticeable landmarks and had only seen the outskirts of some small human villages. The group had mostly been traveling by flying, except when Azrael and Bob needed to forage and Talora wanted to stretch her legs. 
Delora had never eaten better in her life, as Bob and Asriel shared what they had gathered, and Petra shared what she had caught. When they flew, Delora always rode Petra. In their first day, Asriel had offered to take turns carrying Talora, but Petra had scoffed incredulously. What? No, she had said. I'm sorry, you need to find your own human. Besides, you have to carry the pony, so it's totally fair. They had all looked at Bob then, who, surprised to have everyone's attention, had simply responded, Hmm, um, yes, sounds reasonable. Ponies can be, uh, quite difficult to, uh, carry. So, Petra carried Talora, and Asriel carried Bob. Talora loved riding Petra, and her heart leapt when Petra had claimed her so deliberately. Petra was the first dragon Talora had ever ridden, and while riding Beatrice was a thrill of its own, Talora felt she somehow fit Petra better, like they belonged together. There was an automatic sense of connection and communication between them. They each seemed to sense what the other needed and wanted. Meanwhile, Amethyst and Citrine had claimed a small pocket on the back of Talora's pack and had spent most of the journey decorating it. Oh my garnets, it's like a little tiny fairy basket apartment, Amethyst had said the first time they had climbed inside. It's kind of dirty though, Citrine had commented. Citrine, don't be such a flower fairy, we can clean it. (gasps) Yes, Citrine said, and give it windows, and then like we can line it with swans down. Citrine, what are you talking about? There are no swans here. Okay, now who's being a flower fairy, Amethyst? I can have swans down if I want to. You know that I like things fancy. Citrine, we are on a quest. It is not a fancy time for us. You have to, you know, rough it on quests. That means we might get dirty. I can get dirty and be fancy. I just want a cute fairy basket apartment, okay? It was your idea. You're right, Citrine. The Diamond Wing would want us to be fancy. They're counting on us. Now, two days later, Talora's outside pocket had been transformed into a miniature bungalow with windows and mood lighting that Talora was not allowed to touch. Talora smiled and looked around for the fairies who weren't currently in their apartment, or her pocket, rather. As Talora stood and rifled around in her pack for her water canteen, Petra stirred and yawned. Good morning, she said to Petra. Hmm, responded Petra. Where are the vegetarians, she said, looking around. I think Azrael and Bob are out foraging, said Talora, swigging from her canteen. Surprise, surprise. Petra stood and stretched, scanning the sky above them. Do you think they'll bring me something to eat, too, or is it just going to be more of that pony food? I wouldn't count on anything that was formerly breathing, said Talora, smiling. Petra sighed. My brother, the vegetarian dragon. With a groundhog sidekick, Talora added. Talora, said Petra in mock surprise. You mean a pony sidekick. Talora laughed and tossed her cloak over Petra's head. Petra growled and puffed out a forceful breath of steamy air, not quite fire, sending Talora's cloak flying. They both raced for it at the same time and were tousling on the forest floor when Asriel landed in the clearing next to them. Bob tucked tightly into the wrap on Asriel's chest, or the snuggly, as Bob had taken to calling it. "'Good morning!' Asriel sang out happily as he lowered his chest to the ground so that Bob could crawl out. "'Are you two playing tug-of-war with that cloak?' "'Like, that would actually be a contest,' Petra said, tossing the cloak over to Laura and knocking her over with a whack of her wing. "'Hey, yeah, I'm a whole lot stronger than I look, you know,' Talora said, laughing. "'You will not believe the good fortune that Asriel and I stumbled upon this morning,' said Bob, digging into the carrying pack and extracting armfuls of green vegetation. "'Fresh fiddlehead ferns! Yes, indeed! I thought the season had passed, but no! I was mistaken! My 
goodness, oh, what a treat you're in for, Asriel. I can't wait, Bob. Just then, Amethyst and Citrine fluttered down to the ground, perching daintily on a tree stump. Oh, look, they're really fresky this morning, Citrine. It's so strange. Sometimes they're like all tired and scrunchy faced, and then sometimes they're just like bouncy and brightly colored, you know, observed Citrine. It's moods. They can't help it. They just like flow through them. The diamond wing says we just have to ignore it. Petra turned to Talora. Have you ever noticed how fairies like to talk about you like you can't hear them? Oh my gosh, said Citrine. Amethyst, they're talking about us now. Don't move. I need to hear this. Hey parents. Yeah, you. Are you looking for a podcast your kids will really love? Well, we made one just for you. And for us. As genuine, all-natural kids ourselves, we know what makes a fun and interesting podcast. So we decided to make it ourselves. Every show is packed with interviews, stories, and on-the-ground reporting. We have interviewed everyone from scientists to Grammy Award-winning musicians to NFL quarterbacks. Listen to Wild Interest wherever you get your podcasts. Excuse me, uh, fairies, would you care for a nibble of fresh fiddlehead? Asked Bob, trundling over and offering one in his outstretched paw. Amethyst, the pony wants us to eat that plant. Well, Citrine, we are roughing it. Maybe we should try it. You first. What? It is your turn. I tried the seed blend. Before the fairies could launch into one of their debates, Dolora interrupted. How much longer until we reach Mordenson, do you think? She asked the fairies. Will we get there today? Amethyst nodded. Yes, we should, if all goes according to plan, which it never does, especially since we're totally surrounded by humans right now. What? asked Alora. What are you talking about? Suddenly, a gruff voice spoke, making everyone jump. Don't move. Stay where you are. You're surrounded. Talora's heart began to race as she saw the speaker step out from behind a tree. She was a tall woman, broad-shouldered and strong, and she held a short sword in her hand. Talora looked around and saw that the woman was right. They were surrounded. About ten people had emerged from behind the trees and had created a circle around Talora, Bob, and the dragons. Talora noticed reflexively that they all carried weapons of some sort, mostly rudimentary sharp sticks and pitchforks, but... There were also a few swords, and they all had large, clumsy metal shields. These were villagers and farmers, she could tell immediately, not soldiers. But two of them carried bows. These she worried about. Farmers made excellent archers. "'Who are you?' Talora asked, keeping her voice level. She noticed the people staring at the dragons almost hungrily, and a sick feeling formed in the pit of her stomach. "'What do you want?' "'Talora,' muttered Azrael softly. "'Talora!' What's going on? Shh, she told him out of the side of her mouth. I don't know, just let me talk. She looked at the stump where the fairies had been perched and saw that they had disappeared. This gave her confidence somehow. Wherever they were, she knew they were watching, and she didn't think that these intruders had seen them. Who are we? said the tall woman with a smirk. Who are you, if you please? A girl traveling with two dragons? My, 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 I bet you have an interesting story to tell. Put down your weapons and I would be happy to tell it, said Talora mildly. Beside her, she felt Petra's muscles tensing and she placed a hand on her shoulder, pressing it reassuringly against the scales. We're just travelers and we are peaceful. Dragons! Peaceful! Ha! exclaimed a man across the circle from the tall woman. 
He had closely cropped red hair and a long, red beard, and was one of the ones holding a bow. I doubt it! And so does the king! We know what your kind do here! Talora saw with dismay that the ring of people was slowly closing in on them, and then she noticed the nets and chains, many of them clutched tightly in fists. For Petra and Azrael? The sick feeling was gripping her stomach like a vice. For some reason, nothing so far on this wild and unpredictable quest had scared her quite like these people did. Their faces were alive with anger, and the predatory way they were looking at the dragons made her blood run cold. "'What do you want from us?' she asked. She noticed with relief that Azrael had scooped Bob back into his carrying pouch. She wondered if there was any way they could fly up and out of this, but it wasn't likely. Not before they closed in on them. And... She feared the archers. Not much, the woman spoke again. Just give us your dragons and we'll be on our way. I'm sorry, what? exclaimed Petra. Several of the people jumped in surprise. Talora guessed they had never heard a dragon's voice in their heads before. We are no one's dragons to give. Talora pressed her hand firmer against Petra's shoulder. My name is Talora Shamsa. I am from Durga. These are my friends, Azriel and Petra, of Scrag Mountain in Durgan country. Why don't you start by telling us who you are? The intruders seemed to hesitate at the mention of Durga. There was a heavy pause. Then, from behind her, she heard someone exclaim, I don't want to be getting mixed up with no knights. Not what I signed up for, the woman sneered. Can it, Judson? She's too young to be a knight. But she reluctantly offered some information nonetheless. My name is Elmady. You're in the country of Tremaine, if you don't know, and therefore under the law of the King of Tremaine. He's issued a proclamation, you see, a reward for any dragons that are captured and brought to him. Talora gasped. She had never heard of people declaring outright aggression towards dragons in her lifetime. Why? Why would he do this? The red-headed man spoke up, ignoring the silencing glare from the tall woman, Elmady. Well, there have been attacks, haven't there? There's a dragon about! He hasn't come to our village, thank the stars above, but it's only a matter of time, isn't it? Property destroyed, livestock missing. We gotta teach you dragons a lesson, you hear? Talora exchanged looks with Azrael and Petra, who both looked terrified. Shakatala. What do you know of this dragon who has attacked? Asked Azrael slowly. Well, he's big, said the red-haired man, and red like blood. And they say he wears armor covered in gold and jewels, I hear. He doesn't use fire. He likes to destroy with his hands, you see. That's enough, Blaine, scolded Elmody. We didn't come here for a storytime picnic. Talora closed her eyes, briefly. They were too late. Shakatala, in the space of days, was beginning to tear apart the fragile peace that had existed between dragons and humans. Before either Petra or Azriel could speak, she stepped forward. We don't know anything about that dragon. As you can see, Azriel and Petra are young. Not full-grown, not red, not wearing armor. You have nothing to fear from them. Oh, we're not a fear to the likes of them, said the red-headed man, Blaine. But we would like to collect our reward, he added, grinning. We saw you flying over our village yesterday. We tracked you through the night. Talora could feel the heat coming off of Petra's body as she got angrier. Tendrils of smoke escaped from her nostrils. Elmady noticed as well. If your dragons fire upon us, said Elmady, you won't get us all, not in time, and our rewards will be doubled. So, here's what we'll do. We'll give you a few minutes to decide. Do you come peacefully, young dragons, or do we have to take you by force? And you, girl, let them go and we'll not harm you. But if you get in our way, well... 
<sighs> That'll be another story, won't it? Dolores scanned the ring of people slowly closing in on them. There were exactly ten, she saw. They all looked tough and strong, but from the way they moved and dressed, and from the story they told, Dolores could see they weren't trained or well-organized, just a foolish band of opportunists who had come together to collect what they thought of as an easy reward. Foolish indeed if they thought they could capture Azrael and Petra with their flimsy nets and shields. Talora, murmured Petra, we can easily fight these people. There aren't that many of them. No, Talora whispered back urgently. That will just make things worse. They'll say that we attacked them and then more will come. You can't hurt them. You just can't. Besides, Azrael said, we can't prove them right. We can't stoop to his level. We can't be like Shakatala. Even to defend ourselves? Petra asked. Not if we can help it. Dolora reached down and picked up her spear, which was lying next to her pack. Almady began to laugh, and soon everyone else had joined in. What? Are you going to fight us all alone, little girl? Dolora felt the familiar weight of the spear in her hand, and held it firmly as she rolled her head from side to side to loosen her neck muscles. I can defend you, she said calmly to Petra and Azrael. What? Dolora, don't be crazy. There are ten of them. They're all bigger than you. A trilling bird whistle suddenly sounded overhead, and something made Dolora glance up, perhaps because she had never heard that particular bird call before. She spotted amethyst and citrine on a branch high in a tree above them. The fairies stood stock still, their eyes boring into Talora's. As she watched, they nodded at her in perfect unison. They would help her, she knew, if she needed it. I can do it, Talora said to Petra. Just don't get in my way, do you hear me? Stay out of this. Talora, started Petra. Stay out of it, Talora snapped. I told your mother I would take care of you. Trust me. She faced Elmody, who she assumed to be the leader of the group. They won't go peacefully, she said, and I won't let you hurt them, or let them hurt you. So, I guess it could come to a fight. Then she flipped her spear so that the blunt wooden end was facing the intruders and the steel blade on top was facing the ground. She would avoid hurting them if she could. You're holding that spear the wrong way, little warrior, someone else called. I don't want to hurt any of you, Talora said, but if you come any closer to my friends, I will defend them. The laughter intensified and Talora crouched slightly, trying to broaden her awareness to include the whole circle of people around them. She held her spear lightly in her hand, feeling her energy run along its length like a fiery current. Her heart was pounding, but she forced her muscles to relax while she reminded herself of her training. Talora was seven years old when she arrived in Durga to become a knight. For three years, the knights in training had learned and practiced with every weapon. But once they were ten years old, they had to choose. They had to choose the weapon that they would master. Talora had chosen the spear. Swords were by far the most popular weapon, but Talora had watched as swords were defeated by spears time and time again. Talora's spear had a five-foot-long wooden shaft tipped on one end with a double-sided steel blade, making it six feet long in total. The spear was light, long, and nimble, making it impossible for an attacker to get close enough before the spear found its target. Besides, the spear's long wooden shaft could block attacks from all kinds of weapons, while allowing its owner the freedom to fight without killing or injuring their attacker too seriously. As Elmody began to move toward her, Talora closed her eyes, and she could hear the fierce and unrelenting voice of her instructor, Knight Jasmine Port. Find the space, Talora. Find the space. It's where you can go to be aware, to be awake, to be ready. 
Talora had trained endlessly with her spear, until it felt like an extension of her body, until she could wield it with her eyes closed, until she could use it in several different ways and against several different weapons, and against several different people. But none of it meant anything if she couldn't find the space. The space, as Jasmine had called it, was where your instincts and your reflexes lived, and where your brain was not allowed. It was a state of being where one was perfectly aware, where your body could act without your mind or emotions hindering you. Talora loved her spear, and she rarely lost a fight. She knew she could, technically speaking, take on all ten of these people. She just needed to find her space. But she had never fought in the real world before, had never actually used her spear beyond her training, never used it against real humans. Talora was about to find out if what she had learned and trained for would serve her. The only problem was, the space had vanished. Elmody would be upon her in moments, and Talora was drowning in fear and adrenaline. Her brain was working on overdrive, trying to figure out what she should do, how she should attack or not attack, trying to be aware of everyone, everywhere, while her vision was blurring, and all she could hear was her own heart beating in her ears. Whack! Elmody had attacked Talora lazily with her sword, obviously not fearing her, but Talora had blocked reflexively. The block had clearly surprised them both, since Talora had been nearly frozen. She was dimly aware of jeers coming from the other humans. Elmody attacked again, more aggressively. Whack! Talora blocked. Whack! 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 Talora blocked each advance, the hard wood of her spear resisting the sword impressively, but she couldn't get herself to do more, to attack, to move. Her anxiety was growing into panic. Her grip was tightening, and her movements were stiff and slow. She couldn't block forever. And then, a strange thing happened. From the corner of her eye, she saw one of the humans, emboldened by her feeble defenses, pick up a stone and throw it at Petra. It hit Petra on her side and bounced off harmlessly, but Talora heard her own words ring in her ears. Trust me. Her promise to the dragons and her love for them pushed Talora out of her fear. Before she realized what she was doing, she had spun around, grabbed her own stone off the ground, and hurled it back at the man, hitting him square in the ear. Ah, my ear! The man fell backwards. Talora whipped back to face Elmody, who was nearly upon her, sword raised high. Instead of blocking, Talora lunged forward, crouching low, thrusting her shoulder directly into Elmody's hips. As they connected, Talora reared up with all her might, lifting Elmody off the ground and sending her somersaulting off of Talora's back. She landed in a heap on the ground somewhere behind Talora. Talora had found the space, and with it, her speed. She whipped around and struck Elmody's wrist with the blunt end of her spear before she could pick up her sword again. Then she found the next closest human and ran straight for them. Talora's spear was either a whirling blur or a striking cobra. The other attackers descended on her at once. A huge mistake. They were too close to each other to wield their own weapons effectively, and they made easy targets for Talora. Ankles, knees, wrists, elbows. Talora struck her opponents surgically. You couldn't attack if you couldn't walk, and you couldn't wield a weapon if you couldn't hold a weapon. She tried to keep close to her attackers so the archers wouldn't risk firing and hitting their fellows, but she needn't have worried. She managed to look up just in time to catch one archer attempting to fire when his bowstring mysteriously snapped and he smacked himself in the face with his own hand. A moment later, Talora heard the other archer running off into the woods yelling something about bees and ghosts. 
she knew the fairies had done their work. Before she knew it, Talora stood, chest heaving, watching the group turn and melt back into the trees amid a chorus of moans and groans. She was shaking, and she reached out a hand to steady herself against Petra's smooth, golden side. Amethyst and Citrine fluttered down and perched on her shoulders on either side of her head. "'Well done, Talora,' said Amethyst. They reached out a small hand and placed it along Talora's neck, where there was a deep cut that Talora hadn't even noticed. "'Whew, that was close,' she thought. Immediately, she sensed a soothing feeling flowing from the fairy's fingers. "'Thank you,' Talora gasped as she came crashing back down into her thoughts and emotions. "'I couldn't have done that without you.' "'Oh, I don't know,' Citrine said, waving their hands over a tear in the shoulder of Talora's tunic and whisking the blood from the cut beneath it. "'All we did was have some fun with those funny bow and arrow boys.' "'I was a bee first, and then I was a ghost,' said Amethyst. "'Well, I'm grateful,' Talora said, suddenly feeling each muscle that was tired and each cut or bruise she had sustained. As the fairies fluttered over her body, slowly healing and repairing as they went, Asriel spoke— Thank you, Talora. That was... You are amazing. Totally, completely crazy amazing, finished Petra. You are actually the scariest thing I have ever seen. I had no idea you could fight like that. Talora grinned. Thanks, Petra. Bob's head popped up from inside his snuggly. Well, I can't claim to have actually uh, taken in any of the action in a visual sense my auditory observations assure me that it was as every bit as magnificent as all here claim <laughs> thank you Talora, for your um valor you're welcome bob Why do kids bully other kids? Why does my friend lie to me? What do you do if your friends say you're bossy? How can I make a best friend? Friendships can be complicated. I'm psychologist and author Dr. Eileen Kennedy-Moore, host of the Kids Ask Dr. Friendtastic podcast. Each weekly five-minute episode features a question from a kid about friendship, plus a practical and thought-provoking answer. Tune in to learn how you can build strong and caring friendships. Kids Ask Dr. Friendtastic is available wherever you get podcasts. And uh, as a point of interest, purely academic, as you might say, um, just to settle some idle curiosity on my part, would we count what has just transpired as a, a battle? And if so, would you say that I had uh, taken part in said battle? I'm just wondering, you know, for my records. Talora laughed. I don't know about a battle, Bob, but whatever it was, you were definitely a part of it. Excellent. Noted. Thank you. Indeed. Yes. Next time I will... Uh, Try to participate, or at least watch with my eyes. So if everyone is done with their morning battling, I suggest we make like trees and leaf. That was a forest joke, said Citrine, as they and Amethyst put the finishing touches onto Laura's healing. Wait, no one? Because we're going to a forest? Get it? Arbor fairies? Okay, Anyway, if we move now, we may still reach the borders of Mordenson by nightfall. And I don't know about the rest of you, but I would rather not stick around here too much longer, just in case any more of those smelly, dirty, angry, confused, treasure-crazed people come back with their moods and want to have another round with our Talora here. Good point, said Petra. Let's get out of here. That forest joke was so funny, said Amethyst to Citrine as they tucked themselves into their tiny backpack apartment. Really? Ugh, no one laughed. 
I have a lot more jokes, you know. We need to lighten the mood, Amethyst. That's our new job, okay? Oh, yes. So agreed. Such a serious group. As the dragons ate a quick breakfast and Talora packed her supplies, she tried not to feel too worried. Unless Shakatala was stopped soon, it would become impossible for the dragons to travel anywhere as long as they remained in the lands of Tremaine. These people wouldn't be the only ones looking for dragons. They simply had to get to the Arbor Fairies and get back out again as quickly as possible. Finally, after a long day of fast-paced flying, they landed on Amethyst's command, or Citrine's command. They had both commanded and then had argued about who was actually in command until long after they'd landed, in an open field. Just ahead of them, the fairies informed them was the forest of Mordenson. Dusk was falling, and Talora eyed the dense tangle of trees nervously. Does that forest look really dark to you? Petra asked. Yes, confirmed Asriel. There's something odd about it. It's so dense. Why are the trees so dark? They're almost black. Talora agreed with them, though she wanted to try to keep everyone's spirits up, so she didn't say anything. The forest of Mordenson, rearing up abruptly at the edge of the grassy, sweet-smelling meadow, seemed like something out of a fairy tale, the dark wood where an evil wizard dwelled. She shrugged off the prickly feeling on the back of her neck and marched forward. Well, we've come this far. We can't let a bunch of scary-looking trees stop us now. Talora marched forward with Amethyst and Citrine fluttering above her head. Petra and Asriel, carrying Bob, followed. As they entered the wood, the last rays of daylight, already fading in the gloomy dusk, vanished completely. The trees were numerous, densely placed, and tall. Talora glanced up at them and felt that she couldn't even see the tops of them so high did they reach toward the sky. The trunks were dark brown, almost black and the leaves, also darkly colored, rustled softly. It almost sounded like they were whispering. Weird, murmured Asriel. It's all the same species of tree. I've never seen a forest like that before, and I don't recognize the species either. As they pressed carefully ahead, Talora turned to look up at Amethyst and Citrine. Do you know the way to the Arbor Fairies, I mean? Amethyst and Citrine glanced at each other. Well, began Citrine, this is their forest, so they're basically all around us, but Hemlock, their leader, their longest branch, as they call it, will be in a specific place, probably at the heart of the forest. But don't worry, we know the root, said Amethyst. Get it? The root. They all stared blankly at Amethyst, who heaved a sigh. Yes, we know how to get there. We have built-in fairy compasses. Just kidding. That sounds like something Tom Tom would say. Oh, I miss him. That was a good one, Amethyst, whispered Citrine. Keep trying. They trudged on, following the faint luminescence of the crystal fairies fluttering ahead of them. It was almost completely dark now, and the glow of the fairies was all they could see. The rustle of the tree leaves seemed to intensify as they walked, and to Talora, it almost sounded as if they were whispering. Suddenly, Petra gasped. She and Azrael had stopped moving, and when Petra turned to face them, she could sense their sudden fear. Azrael, started Petra slowly. Did you... did you hear that? Yes, said Azrael. Are they talking? What's going on? asked Talora. The trees, they're talking, answered Petra. They're talking to us. They're inside our heads, just like any animal we would talk to. Only they sound... they sound like... Ghosts, finished Azrael, and Petra nodded. I've never heard trees or any kind of plant talk before. How are they doing this? What, um, what, uh, what are they saying, Asriel? asked Bob, leaning eagerly out of his snuggly. 
It's hard to know, really, answered Asriel. They're all talking at once. They're so loud. And getting louder, added Petra, closing her eyes tightly. Dolora could hear the rustling of leaves intensifying, and to this was added a faint, creaking, groaning sound, as of trunks being shifted in heavy wind. Though she couldn't understand the trees as the dragons could, she could feel the crackling, tense energy all around her. Amethyst and Citrine flew down to Talora's shoulder. "'It makes sense that the trees are talking, you know,' Citrine pointed out, looking uncharacteristically unsure. "'The Arbor Fairies live among them. Live for them, really. Perhaps they've just been coaxed into consciousness over the years. "'So are you saying that crystals, gems, stones, they talk to you?' asked Talora, hoping that there was a non-spooky explanation for this. "'Well,' began Amethyst, "'not exactly, but they aren't alive in the same way trees are. "'Oh, Citrine, there's so many trees. "'It's really as bad as I thought it would be.' "'Azriel shook his head. "'No, this doesn't feel like trees. "'It feels like creatures,' he shuddered. "'They're trapped. "'They're begging us,' said Petra, "'now crouched low to the ground and breathing hard. "'They need our help. "'They... oh, make them stop!' Azriel was gazing, wild-eyed, up at the towering trees all around them. They want us to see them, to feel them. They want us to... But before Azriel could finish his sentence, they were flooded with light, and all around them, perched in the trees, fairies were revealed, glowing, gazing down at Talora and the dragons. A calm, deep voice spoke from somewhere among them. Quiet, my pets. Abruptly, the trees fell silent. Welcome, Talora. Welcome, dragons. And small pony Bob. And welcome, crystal fairies. Our brethren, Citrine. And Amethyst. Welcome, welcome all to the realm of the Arbor Fairies. Hello again. If you'd like to know what happens next, please join us for Episode 9, The Arbor Fairies. If you have any questions, comments, or artwork you'd like to share, please email PetraTheDragon at gmail.com. Petra handles all of our communication for us, and though there was a small recent incident where she did, in fact, set something on fire, she promises never to let it happen again. If you are enjoying Fadpack, there are a few simple and fun ways to support the show. If you can leave a rating or a review on the device that you're listening from, go for it. We would love that. This is a great way to help others find the show, and it really means a lot to us and to Petra. You can also join us on Patreon or buy a ticket to one of our live Zoom shows where you'll be the first to hear the new episodes, share your drawings or thoughts about the show, and chat with other listeners. For tickets to the live show, please visit dirtroadtheater.com slash fadpack. And now we'd like to share some moments from our live show. Well, hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. Can you say that again, Poppy? We, we missed that. Hello is riding on the green one. Yes. And, and Bob is riding on the... <laughs> I love that. I would love to see how Bob would actually ride in a little cozy, snuggly like that. That would be very fun to see. <laughs> Thanks, Poppy. Lucy? I did something with these balloons. You did? Oh my goodness. Can you tell us about it? I think that's the first time we've seen balloon art on our on our show. 
pump a balloon up. This one's supposed to be Beatrice. It's blue. And now it's Petra's turn. Oh my goodness, look at that. Now Asriel's going. Wow. Now Lyle's going. That's now so Now it's Edwin's turn. Go, Edwin. Finally, Smudge. So fun. Thanks, Lucy. That was like performance art, kind of like a sculpture. Oh, that was super cool. Thank you. <laughs> Graceland and Oliver, did you want to share something? I drew this of like the beginning, like that's a spear. This is all the vegetation for um Bob and Asriel. This is Bob's snuggy. What's that called? Snuggly. Snuggly. Yeah. That is Asriel's jewel. Ooh. Oh yeah, his jewel. Yeah, from Shock and Paul. Forgot about that. Right. Got a good thing you reminded me of that. <laughs> Graceland and Oliver, how did it feel to you to hear this episode? Because normally we read we read the episode to you before you see the show. Was it weird to not have had not have heard it before and see it for the first time at the show? Yeah, but it was also it was also better. Like I was surprised. Like I didn't like I I didn't just know that Talora was going to defeat the humans and everything was going to be all right. I was just sitting on the edge of my seat waiting to see what would happen. I think it was really I mean, I love how it was like when you get to a certain age, you get to choose your weapon and she chose her spear and like how her teacher was telling her, like, find that space. And that's how you can fight really well. And I loved hearing you describe like how she was fighting and like how all these people were underestimating her. And, and then like she beat their batooties. I also noticed that dad did the voices of all of those people. Yeah, dad did all sorts of sound effects for this. So you tried to make a variety, Dado. Excuse me? Yeah. Question. Who is your favorite character in Fat Pack? I'm asking this for you and dad. For you, for you and dad. And, well, you guys know that. Well, to other people who don't know this... My favorite character is Smudge. Um, I, my favorite character, I have three favorite characters. And I think okay. Beatrice is one because I just think she's a really interesting character and I identify with her. And Talora is two because I think she's amazing. And Carnelian hey. is three because they are spectacular. And one of my favorite voices to do. <laughs> What about you, Dominic? Um, I think Lyle is one of my favorite characters. I was really happy that Lyle got a little more of a chance to shine um, in the last episode with the sea cucumbers. Um, And also, and also Talora. I was also pretty happy with Shakatala. Lucy, do you have a favorite character? I like Smudge. You like Smudge too. Yeah. Smudge is pretty fun. What about you, Graceland? Um, I think my favorite characters are Petra and Talora, but I also really like all the fairies. Mm. Um, I just 
first it was only Petra, but seeing Talora take out those the humans with her spear, that let me look at her with whole new eyes. Yeah, I know it was a side of Talora that we haven't seen yet, right? She's awesome. She's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Fairies and Dragons, Ponies and Knights is a proud member of Kids Listen, a grassroots organization of advocates for high-quality audio content for kids. You can find more great podcasts at kidslisten.org or download the app. Fairies and Dragons, Ponies and Knights is made and recorded by Dirt Road Theatre in Northfield, Vermont. Fad Pack is written and performed by me, Marin Langdon Spillane, and written and created by Dominic, Graceland, and Oliver Spillane. The music you heard was composed by the amazing Nathan Lee. You can see more of his work at nathanlee.net. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you can join us next time.